0: Welcome to episode number six of the Dust Safety Science Podcast, where we're looking at increasing awareness of combustible dust hazards, generating lessons learned from incidents as they occur, creating a worldwide global community around dust safety and industries handling powder materials. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Cloney, and today we have a very special episode where we're talking about the U.S. Chemical Safety Board's recent call to action on combustible dust. On the line today, we have Cheryl McKenzie, team lead of investigations at the U.S. Chemical Safety Board as well as Dr. Ivan Pupoliti, retired director of the Office of Innovation and Organizational Learning at the U.S. Forest Services, who is helping with the call to action. The call to action came out in October on the heels of a number of significant dust explosion incidents over the last number of years, causing fatalities and injuries and facility loss. And at that same time, the U.S. Chemical Safety Board also released their update on dust incidents in the United States. From 2006 to 2017, They found 105 explosion incidents with 59 fatalities and 303 injuries as reported through their database system. As discussed in the podcast episode, from the number of investigations that they completed, they found a lot of common themes and common threads between the different incidents involving combustible dust, issues with risk perception, issues with the perception of how dangerous is accumulations of dust within facilities. And they really put out this call to action, which is a a set of 11 questions that they're putting out to industry, to operators, people that develop standards, researchers, um, and anyone that's really involved around the world in industries handling combustible dust. They're trying to elicit feedback on these questions um, or just any general feedback that you may have on the, the current status of combustible dust safety, what you're actually doing in your facilities every day, in order to make better recommendations moving forward. Where do we actually need to put our efforts in saving lives and saving people from injury reducing facility loss from combustible dust, fires, and explosions. The deadline for the call to action has been extended to December 31st, 2018. So if you're listening to this episode as it comes out, please consider um, replying and sending your answers in. You can do this by emailing combustibledust at csb.gov. Um, and you can access the call to action by just Googling chemical safety board, uh, call to action on combustible dust. You can also go to the show notes, dustsafetyscience.com six, those are the show notes for this episode, and you can find all the information on the call to action there and where you can actually reply and send in your responses. If you're listening to this in the future after the deadline, I encourage you still to listen to the episode because we get a lot of great information from what the CSB has historically learned from combustible less incidents, what we're actually doing today to try to fight that, and a lot of the lessons learned there. I encourage you also to still respond through to the Chemical Safety Board um, by emailing that email, or you can put your responses in the comments section on this podcast episode. With that, I want to thank you for listening to the Dust Safety Science Podcast, for supporting our work with DustSafetyScience.com, with the Combustible Dust Incident Database, and I hope you enjoy today's episode with Cheryl and Ivan. So welcome to the Dust Safety Science Podcast. In this interview, we'll be talking to Cheryl McKenzie and I, Dr. Ivan puppet um, who are covering the U.S. Chemical Safety Board. It's called Action on Combustible Dust, who we were just talking about. Um, Cheryl, go ahead and say hi and introduce yourself.
1: Hi, I'm Cheryl McKenzie. I'm an uh, investigations team lead for the CSB.
0: And Dr. Pupoliti?
2: Hi, please just call me Ivan. I'm Ivan Pupoliti, and I'm uh, coordinating the, some of the research for the uh, call to action for Chemical Safety Board.
0: That's great. So just by way of, of background, um, I mentioned this in the, the introduction of the show, but recently the U.S. Chemical Safety Board has launched a call to action on combustible dust, where they're looking at feedback from industry from operators, researchers, people that are involved with standards making, on a set of questions and just various input on combustible dust hazards, um, perception of dustful, combustible dust hazards. And that's really what we're going to be going through in this interview with Cheryl and Ivan, um, just to get some background on where that's come from and really what they're looking for and who they're looking to respond for this. So Cheryl, maybe I'll start with you just by background, maybe, because we have a, an international audience and people at different levels, Do you give a background to the U.S. Chemical Safety Board and kind of what the goals and mission of the organization are?
1: Absolutely. All right. The CSB, or Chemical Safety Board, is an independent safety agency. So, we we investigate chemical accidents that happen throughout the U.S., accidents like dust explosions. And um, we do this in order to share what we learned about how the incident unfolded in the hopes of uh, identifying opportunities for safety change. So we're we're looking for what can we do in the future to prevent incidents like this from happening again. Uh, we're non-regulatory. We don't cite or fine any companies. Um, our whole purpose is safety. Our, our mission actually, literally, is to drive chemical safety change to protect people in the environment.
0: Yes, from my memory, the the vision, or at least the vision, a few years ago, was was a nation safe from chemical disasters, or something on those lines.
1: Exactly, exactly. And so our so we do these really in-depth investigations um, and we look not only at the immediate events leading up to an incident, we often make animations and, and try to help share that information out publicly, but we also dig deeper and we look at the systems uh, behind those immediate events and we go kind of up and out with uh, looking at the organization itself. Sometimes we look bigger uh, across the industry. Are these issues that we're seeing at this event something that we see elsewhere? And uh, we can even make recommendations to regulatory bodies like OSHA and EPA, and we sometimes do, uh, if we think that there's opportunity for change in that arena. So we look to uncover what went wrong and what could go differently in the future, and we make recommendations to a variety of entities um, that we think could actually do something to make the workplace safer. So we can make recommendations to the company itself. We can make recommendations more broadly to um, to industry associations, and and as I said, we can even make recommendations to uh, regulatory parties. So uh, um, we get on our pulpit and we do a lot of advocacy and outreach to try to share the information we learn in the hopes of driving this chemical safety change.
0: Certainly, yeah, and our our viewership through some things that I've certainly posted and and the work that I put out will be will be familiar with a lot of the work. I personally use the U.S. Chemical Safety Board reports. I had everyone printed during my Ph.D. thesis, all probably thousand pages of them, um, and I, I read everyone. I know every I know a lot of of researchers, um, university students. I really use those as entry points within North America, but around the world for catastrophic loss events and instant investigations post event to get learning from them so in the combustible dust world the the viewers will probably be familiar with the 2006 combustible dust hazard study that the csb did where they found between 1980 and 2005 119 fatalities 718 injuries and then in 2008 the u.s chemical safety board released their imperial sugar refinery report and investigation report and that we actually covered in episode three of the the podcast you can find it at dustsafetyscience.com and I guess to follow up with, with Cheryl, from that time, so 2008, over the last decade, what has the CSB been doing in regards to combustible dust, and where has that kind of led to to the point that we're at now?
1: Yeah, so um, after the dust study, we actually um, continued to keep dust on our radar. We did make a recommendation to OSHA for a general industry standard on combustible dust, and I've continued to do outreach and advocacy for that. In the meantime, there were a number of additional dust incidents that occurred, and we went to a handful of them and investigated those. So there was the Imperial Sugar that came after the dust study. We went to um, Hoganese Corporation in Tennessee. They had several dust events in a row that we looked at, Uh, U.S. Inc., AL Solutions, and currently we're investigating Didion Milling. Uh, It was a corn dust explosion. And so in all of these events, what's interesting is that they were all in different states all different dust we had titanium dust carbon black dust uh, corn dust sugar dust powdered iron and so what was interesting is that despite the big disparities in the different events and those kind of basic facts of them there were a lot of commonalities and so as we continue to investigate these events and not seeing really big changes from our 2006 study we, you know, 12 years later, we're like, we need to do something more. We need to do more on this issue and get more information out there and people dialoguing about this issue. Right now, in particular, yes, <laughs> sorry. Right now, in particular, I, um, it's not a, um, a regulatory uh, friendly environment, and so we're not expecting the combustible dust uh, general industry standard recommendation to kind of move forward too much. We're hopeful, and we continue to do outreach for that, but we start thinking,
0: what what, what can else we
1: can do. we do? Yeah. yeah, exactly, and that's what kind of led us to this, so yeah, a call to action.
0: No, that makes a lot of sense, and maybe I'll I'll jump in with Ivan. So, Ivan's helping with the call to action with his background in the innovation organizational learning side, um, so maybe I'll put that question through to you as well, Ivan. What are some common themes that you've seen from combustible dust incidents over the last decade with what the U.S. Chemical Safety Board has done and then just in general?
2: So I think, I think one thing that's, uh, that's striking for us is that the, the approach to investigation has been rather traditional. And it's, as Cheryl said, looking for those things that are broken inside the system and trying to find out how we can fix those. And we're finding that there are a lot of things that, that are overlaps, but we're also finding that there's a possibility that we could approach investigation in an additive way, by looking at what we can learn collectively from these events. Now, when I say that, our tradition of learning has been focused mainly on learning what to do and what not to do. What we did in the Forest Service was we turned that a little upside down when we realized that workers need to learn differently. And in fact, everybody inside the system needs to learn differently. Instead of learning what to do and what not to do, which is important, don't get me wrong, we have to do that. But to add on to that, what we need to start to learn is how we can learn in the moment. And what we found so far in looking at the dust research that we've done is that that learning in the moment isn't taking place. People are always surprised that the amount of dust that they see results in an in a often fatal accident. Often the language that's used inside their own reviews, internal reviews, hinders them or prevents them from being able to learn all that they can and then there's also some company proprietary sort of defensive mechanisms that are in place that prevent companies from sharing information across the spectrum so those are kinds of the the things that we' we're, we're finding so far in the in the preliminary study did that answer your question
0: certainly yes so maybe from there I think that's a good entry point into the the call to action that's been released last month um, and I believe that the Safety Board may be extending. Is that correct, Cheryl?
1: Correct. We extended the deadline to the end of the calendar year, December 31st. So uh, we really want to, uh, we, we've been getting some really good feedback. We're encouraged by that. Um, we're hoping to get a lot more. The more uh, the more responses and more insights we get from the various uh, stakeholders, the better. And so we wanted to make sure that we gave people the, the space to, to submit comments if we wanted to.
0: That makes a lot of sense to me. And I have been talking to to several individuals that have kind of mentioned that they they wanted to respond and wanted to to send that in, having seen the the call to action document and the questions there, they're just having a hard time finding time. And that's that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you guys on was to discuss the call to action just to get people their their ideas start to flow and and to encourage them that this is only meant to really be a 15 minute kind of task. It's not something supposed to add to your day and something that can be done pretty easily. So at the end, we'll talk a little bit about how people can respond. But looking at the call to action today, uh, maybe I'll, I'll field this one to Ivan. Why why the call to action now and how does that fit in with the lessons learned? And what are we really looking to, to achieve with this?
2: Well, to, to address this question, I think we've got to think about how we got to this place. So Cheryl and I have been working together for almost 12 years now, as it turns out. We met... Uh, co-teaching a course for the uh, forest service uh, for the university of california in berkeley and and that course was on human factors and i like many other people have been very struck by the way that chemical safety board approaches their investigations and produces these videos which i see as seminal learning moments as long as we can attach some sort of uh, genuine inquiry uh, to the to the Videos themselves. So knowing that and seeing that, we actually invited Cheryl to come over and take a look at our process. And um, what we did was we replaced what we call the serious accident investigation process with a process that looks at the at the context around decisions and actions. So basically focused on why it makes sense for people to do what they did. And I'm, I'm going to turn it to Cheryl, because I think at this point, Cheryl, you can explain why that was important to CSB.
1: Yeah. So understanding the context of, of why people did what they did, you know, the, the, people go to work every day expecting to go home at the end of the day, right? You know, you're going, you're doing your job, you're trying to do the job the best you can. and um, And then we have these catastrophic incidents, and it's so easy to... Nitpick and and point out all those ways that the event could have not happened and find fault uh, and blame those that were involved in the event because, oh, if they, you know, they should have known better, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And that doesn't get us anywhere. Um, But if instead we sit back and we start thinking about, well, why did it make sense to them at the time to do that? Why were they doing three different things at once or 12 different things at once? Why did they not see that sign or that? Uh, weak signal? Why didn't they notice that? And um, when you start asking those questions and digging in a little bit deeper and trying to understand that context, oftentimes what's revealed are real learnings, real nuggets of, oh, they didn't notice it because they were doing 3 persons' jobs at once because of, uh, you know, uh, staffing decisions that were made three months ago or whatever it is. And you start uncovering these. And those are where opportunities, you know, lie for for change and improvement to prevent the next incident. So it's all understanding the context. And, and that's why the, you know, the CSB, and, um, Learning from the Forest Service and, and others, it's just, we're trying to do that more. And I think that this call to action is an example of that we're trying to understand the context of combustible dust we're, in, the, in the broadest sense. We're trying to understand what is it really like to work in an environment that's inherently dusty? where you're told you got to keep it clean. And yet you have equipment that breaks and you have to open it up to clean it. And in opening it up, the environment gets dusty. Like how do you manage that in the real world? And you get, you know, examples of how you're supposed to, like, how do you, how do you recognize when this is going back to the call to action questions? How do you recognize when this level of dust is okay, but this level of dust isn't? And and how do you make those judgment calls on a daily basis? Because we found in the events that we've investigated and as the call to action depicts in, in our graphics and in, in, the, in the write-up, is like we found these ranges of responses where people working in the same exact environment, you'd have a handful saying, oh, it was the dustiest place I've ever been in. And a handful of people who were like, it was so clean compared to other places I've worked at. And so there's this disparity in the subjectiveness To the context that they're working in. And and understanding that alone is very revealing. So that was kind of a long-winded answer. But I think that we are seeing this call to action as an opportunity where the people who work in these environments, the people that oversee these environments, the people that inspect these environments, the people who do research to help all of those people do their jobs in these environments um, can provide information and insights that we haven't perhaps thought of before that we haven't, we haven't thought of that context before and we can draw connections that might not have been seen um, previously. And so we're really hoping that this might just open some doors and some dialogue in avenues that haven't been explored before.
0: Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. And, and you said a lot of important things there. So many actually dug into each one. I'm not sure we'd ever, ever get through, but a couple of highlights I think is, is that it's multi-stakeholder and, and there's a big knowledge difference. So the people maybe that have safety knowledge, maybe they're they've done university degrees specifically in safety, health and safety industries, people like myself with a, a really heavy science background on deflagration and, and explosion say or science. Um people that are involved in incident investigation, they may have a, have one area knowledge, and then people that are that are actually handling these powders may have another area and and then operators, then upper management, middle management, lower management someone who looks at a that's the maybe CEO of a of a nationwide company that has 20 30 50 100 facilities all those people need to understand people groups need to understand the 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 safety hazards involved in order to, to have an effective system where we stop these things and i think the call to action is really trying to to get at some of those levels that we haven't heard from because you you're obviously he- hearing from me i have a podcast on the subject so that's that's probably not that helpful or well, I hope it is helpful, but we we need to get the voices of other people heard that that are involved in different ways. Um, in in particular, these people are handling the the combustible dust every day, um, milling operations, coal miners, uh, metal fabricators. One thing I was struck by quite a bit with the the factual update from Didion and the call to action from combustible from the USB on combustible dust, or from the CSB rather uh, was this, this difference in perception. So in, in the documents, which I encourage everyone to go look at and we'll have in the show notes at dustsafetyscience.com slash six. If you go there, you can, you can look at it. Um, and, and the perceptions really do vary. Some people do say, you know, I, I came home every day and I was covered in dust from my head to my toe and, and I had to have a shower to get off and somebody on the same floor, working the same operation may go home and say, there were, I never noticed any dust, there, were, there was no hazards involved. Um, and maybe on Ivan's side, I, one thing I read in the, the call to action, or maybe it was the factual investigation update, I don't remember which one, but was that this d- difference in the level of dust also sort of mirrored the difference in hazard recognition between these two groups. So some people may, in the same room where two people saw dust everywhere, some people thought that was very hazardous, other people thought it's not hazardous. And, and maybe I can Ivan can point to some of the the differences there.
2: Yeah, it's it's kind of an interesting question, uh, Chris. As we take a look at that, equating this problem, the problem of dust, with risk, is seemingly a kind of a dangerous thing to do. The reason that I say that is because it's a normal human tendency to normalize risk. If you see risk every day, your tendency is okay. to say that. That risk is not a risk because nothing bad happens. Every day I go home that nothing bad happens reinforces my mindset that the amount of dust that I see or the amount of risk that I see is okay. This is why I say equating the two is kind of a difficult or dangerous thing to do. I think that um, we, have to, we have to sort of objectively look or as objectively as possible, look at how organizations and individuals are handling the issue of dust and our indications so far may be that we need to separate that from a risk discussion altogether. And there are some indications that we may need to even separate it from a housekeeping concept where housekeeping the idea of keeping the house clean, well, clean is clean enough And when we start looking at the regulations, we see that the regulations are built with that same type of ambiguity around, well, it's safe, safe enough is. What is safe enough? Well, safe enough is we haven't had an explosion. Well, okay, we haven't had an explosion, so it must be safe enough. This kind of equivocation is the kind of thing that we need to start to challenge. So that's the that's the initial outset. And this is not to say that anybody's doing anything wrong. I think we need to purpose this by, by understanding that when we take this learning approach, this learning review approach, our goal is not to look at what, what has gone wrong, but instead what is normal inside the system and where does normal create vulnerabilities inside the system without us even knowing it. That's a very different question than right and wrong. And in fact, we find through this process that, where we end up is often in a middle ground that is palatable for everybody from the legal side of the house to the the victim's families and when we think about that what we're really thinking about is the multiple stakeholders that have to be appeased by any process that we look at
0: right that yeah that's a a really good way to explain i think you hit a lot of important points there i think maybe we'll jump into some of the questions i'm not gonna be able to recite them um, verbose from the document but i just want to and and this isn't an exercise to get you guys to provide answers because then we'll influence the answers that we get. But just to maybe talk around the the history, the last decade, um, the common things that we've seen, and then why these questions and why are they need at this time. So I'm going to pull out a, a couple here. One is, and I want the audience to really think about this. So as you're listening, if you're in your car, you're driving to work, or if you're you're at work, or um, at the gym or wherever you're listening to this podcast episode, I, I want you to think how this these questions really formulate in your mind and, and then at the end really think about sending them into the chemical safety board. So the first two are, can a workplace be both dusty and safe? And then the second one is, how can the effectiveness of, I'm going to use that that word housekeeping, um, although Ivan's already discussed maybe that's not the, the best choice of word, but how can the effectiveness of that type of program be measured? Cheryl or Ivan, whoever whoever wants to go first, how do that? How does that fit in with what we've seen over the last decade, two decades of, of looking at combustible dust incidents?
1: Well, I mean, I, I'll take a stab. <laughs> I uh, um, I think that you know we ask these kind of more um, almost theoretical questions because they're they're so they're so hard to answer and they're so subjective answers what what i what we're seeing is like you know as you said from the the perceptions um that we kind of called and put in those graphics and the call to action is that the same working environment and people have very diverse perspectives of of how dusty the environment is and so part of us asking these questions is because they're so difficult to answer so when 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 it comes to shove and you and you you know attempt to answer it what what kind of answer can you provide and what does that reveal about about combustible dust as a hazard and 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 what else can we do with that information does that does that make sense
0: certainly yes ivan do you have anything to add there i think i think Cheryl really hit that uh, uh, right on the head perfect yeah and i would add so my immediate My immediate response to can a workplace be both dusty and safe from an academic perspective is is, you know, no, it can't be above one thirty second or one sixteenth of a of an inch of dust. But is is that really a practical and I know that's what, you know, the standards say, but is that a practical guideline that industry is following? And and that's really the the question I think from the, the call to action is are industries following that guideline? I've seen pictures of, you know, where where an inch might be acceptable, not not it's not acceptable from the standard point of view, but it's accepted. I've seen a foot. I've seen a couple feet. Um, the math says you can be in a, above the MEC with only you know fractions of an inch. But what what does the actual human perception of that? And I think that ties into that question. So people answering it really from their real life perspective of what they do every day, I think, would be invaluable to the the community to figure out the best safety approaches there. So I'm going to rattle off just a handful of of what I called um, real world questions on this this point of view of I think we really want to hear from hopper, operators, health and safety managers, people that are that are have a, an overview of what's going on in these facilities. I just want to mention a couple of them because they're they are really these key questions that people can provide input on. I think will help guide what the CSB is recommending, hopefully help guide what the standards do in the future, how we tackle combustible dust. So a couple of them and this one falls on what I just said, but how can you tell if a safe dust level has been surpassed? So an operation that continuously creates dust. When do you do your cleanup? How do you tell if you're above the, the dangerous and is that just a subjective thing or is it actually objectively measured? What are some challenges with implementing today's standards? Um, how do how do companies deal with aging equipment and replacing that And in terms of combustible dust safety with dust leakage? Um, what are some challenges in maintaining dust collection systems? So from the incident reporting we've done, Dust collectors are, are uh, mentioned as the, the number one source of fires and explosions. There's some discrepancy between whether or not they tend to be high loss incidents and whether they tend to be more fires than explosions. And actually, if you you look at last week's Dust Safety Science podcast episode, we cover that from the incident report. We found that, that dust collectors typically resulted in fires, which typically resulted in more high loss from a dollar value, where other equipment such as silos and And elevators tend to involve more explosions, which tend to involve more loss from an injury and fatality value. But both those are are important. So you can't say just because a dust collector, and there are plenty of examples of dust collectors exploding and injuring people, but because the proportions are different that you you have to have safety in one way or the other. If you want to prevent loss in both dollars and and human life, then you need to to protect from both the fires and the explosions. And then the, the last question on the sort of real world side is, what processes are in place for workers to report dust safety issues? So, if you're concerned, um, are you allowed to hit that big red button if you see too high of a level dust and and stop down your op- stop your operation? Are there pressures from production managers? Are there pressures from the monetary side to to pull the plug on a, a safety a process over a safety issue? So, I think those are all things that the CSB is really looking for in this call to action. And I'd, I'd open the floor to, to Ivan and Cheryl as well. It, Are there any other kind of perceptions from you'd like to see from people in these actual facilities that are handling combustible dust?
2: Yes. I'll I'll chime in. I'd like to, uh, I'd like to point out that our belief is that a lot of the information that we're looking for is out there in the field. And it is in fact in the field, it's, it's held with those people who are closest to the work. Now, for example, when we look at these things, we have a tendency to lump things together. And so when we say the number one source of explosion is around the dust collector, my response is like, well, yeah, of course it is, because that's where we're collecting dust. How many accidents did the dust collector already prevent? A question we'll never be able to answer, but the dust collection system is a mitigation system. So are we looking at things, or could we look at things differently? And, and I had the occasion to take a look at one plant right. uh, that made uh, iron ore, uh, iron pellets, Um, And as I looked at this iron pellet plant, I realized that they created a lot of very dangerous dust. And so I asked them, I said, what do you do with your dust? Well, their answer was really kind of interesting. Their answer was, we actually look at that as a viable economic product, and we collect the dust and press it into what we call biscuits, and the biscuits can then be refined as ore. So as we as we start to think about this, what we, th- what we need to think about is we need to think about how we can collect those kinds of innovations. How are people looking at dust differently? And how can we then share that information? This takes us to a whole new place in our discussion rather than simply looking at the fragile or weak points in our system.
0: And Cheryl, you can go ahead as well. If you had something to say. I just want to add to that um, is
1: we see pockets of innovation all the time when we do our investigations where we find a company um, that's just doing something really innovative or even just a site separate from its, you know, corporate um, uh, organization that it's a part of just tried something different and they're having a lot of success. So in, in this set of questions, like they, uh, you know, we're trying to get at some of the, I think the really heavy, Challenges that, that organizations and work sites that in deal with dust face, but we're looking for stories of successes as well as uh, as well as those um, challenges that people have. So we really hope that we get some people writing in with you know, um, hey, well we we handled this issue by doing X, and it seems to be working for these reasons. Um, I think that again, it's, it's sharing that knowledge and that information out, and we can we can then. You know, be a conduit to that information and get it out there. So maybe other companies can do something similar. So to me, this is also a, a place where we can um, get get new ideas and brief license them for others.
0: That's a really great point, and I I've often heard that, especially in university classrooms where they're teaching health and safety, that all the examples are, are negative case studies. You don't see a lot of you know positive. This company implemented this process, and now it's actually helped. Um, but getting more of those, and even in response to the the call to action, I think would be really helpful. See what is working for people. What haven't we thought of as a, a combustible dust safety community, and what, how can that feed into what we're recommending that people do today? So I'm going to close on on the last two questions, and I kind of want to leave these as hanging responses because they're they're near and dear to the heart of what what I'm doing with dust safety science, what we're trying to achieve with zero fatalities worldwide, um, and also to the the CSB's mission of. Um, vision of a, a nation safe from chemical disasters, and and it ties in what I've seen with the incident reporting, what we've seen with the combustible dust incident database, but how in your facility, so from the responder's point of view, from the, the listener that's listening to this podcast, how common are dust fires that don't cause an explosion, and does this cause a false sense of security? I've seen this from some people have an explosion and, and have never had a fire, to some people have an explosion and they had a fire every two weeks for you know, a, a year or two and and it really may have caused us false sense of security. So that's one kind of open-ended question. Then the other is is obviously how can operators, industry standard organizations, researchers and regulators better share information to prevent future incidents? And I mean, this is what does safe science about this. I think what the U.S. Chemical Safety Board is called the action is all about. How do we, as a community, pull other people in, share these success stories and get them out there? and then learn from them and, and get them implemented into the standards, into the best practices, both in, in the United States and Canada, but also worldwide. And with that, I, I think we are close to closing, but I want to open the floor to to Ivan and Cheryl to see if, do you have anything else you'd like to say or or discuss um, about the call to action? And maybe, maybe we'll start with uh, Ivan. So I think this is an opportunity.
2: It's an opportunity for people to join in this conversation. Uh, It is not something that is already predetermined. We're in a position where we are in an exploration mode We're in an open inquiry mode and that means that we're going to allow the data to direct a lot of the future actions and decisions that are made in terms of how we Propagate the information in terms of how we make sense of the information and then Chemical Safety Board is going to make a decision on how that information is then presented to the community and shared. We we recognize right up front that this is a complex problem. It's not a simple problem. And as a complex problem, we have to address those complexities, those those different intricacies of the system. And the only way to really do that is
0: to enjoin people in the process. That's excellent. Cheryl, do you have any closing words that you want to include as well?
1: Oh, Ivan uh, just did a nice job there. Um, yeah, we, we really are kind of letting the responders, the commenters, uh, drive the action forward. So, the more responses we get, the more insights in, and ideas and thoughts that are shared, the more opportunities we might have to do something more with it. So, the CSC's kind of festival um, um, dust is on our critical driver list. Our board is very um, very much in favor of doing more on this issue. It's very important to them, and um, we're kind of, you know, open to a variety of ways that we can go with with this information. Um, the CSB is um, committed to releasing um, some sort of report, kind of summarizing what we're getting uh, back, and trying to be open and transparent about the feedback we received, in in the hopes of spurring, you know, continual dialogue and change. But Maybe we can do, um, you know, a public meeting or we can do focus groups or we can do more once we get that information. And what's awesome is that because the board is really energized by this topic and really wants to do more with it, they're kind of have an open door right now on ideas and then the next step. So it's it's really like if we get a bunch of responses, we can do something more with it. So I'm just really hopeful that that people um, want to submit their comments and and their thoughts. Um, we believe that you know that's the next step in trying to take, you know get a handle on this hazard. Um, as, as Ivan said, it is a complex one, and it's not something that we're going to have you know the answer for. But um, but these by having the stakeholders, all the different people who work and oversee these environments, submit their their thoughts, their insights, their experience, um, we're all learning and we can all um, advance this issue together. And I'm I'm really excited about the potential for that.
0: Yes, I'm really excited too. And I I haven't seen this tact um, where you, I've seen a lot where we try to put information out and hope people that get it. But from this, we're really saying, send us what your thoughts are. And the U.S. Campus Safety Board is really saying, send us your thoughts, we'll collect them, we'll put it out in a public way. I'm sure it'll be very well designed, as we've seen with the Chemical Safety Board videos and the reports that have been done before, and put in the best way to, to learn from. So, if you want to respond, if you want to see the call to action, um, you can go to dustsafetyscience.com/six. For this episode, you can pull up the call to action there and look at the questions. Um, alternatively, I'm pretty sure if you Google U.S. Chemical Safety Board call to action combustible dust, you'll find it on their website as well. And you can pull that up. You can reply and send your responses in by emailing combustible dust and cheryl correct me if i'm wrong here but combustible dust at us.gov
1: no um combustible dust at csb.gov.
0: okay combustible that's right combustible dust at csb.gov. um and from my understanding if you take a look and you only want to answer one question or you even want to write a paragraph that's unrelated to the questions or even if you have a a different question you think the chemical safety board should be asking um, send those in those are all really helpful information you could take just two minutes and send off an email to combustible dust at csb.gov with just your overall thoughts. You don't even need to look at the call to action. And you can also send responses through to Dust Safety Science, either in the, the comments of the post or you can send them through to me directly, Chris at chris.dustsafetyscience.com. I'll forward those through. But I think the more responses we can get from people in North America and around the world, I think the, the more powerful this program will be. And I, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm really excited to it as well. So with that, I just want to say thank you to to Ivan and to Cheryl for, for coming on today. And thank you to the Chemical Safety Board for putting on this great program, which I think over the next one, two, five, ten years, we will, will really see that it was a, a driver for change in how we handle combustible dust safety. So with that, I just want to say thank you. And I look forward to the next time we get to have you guys on the show.
2: Thanks so much, Chris.
0: Thank you, Chris. And I think that the community has a lot to
2: thank you for as well.
0: I appreciate that. And I look forward to talking to you guys soon.